I was sitting there, I was thinking to myself, that motherfucker Bradford, I don't want to hear you coming back with Chronicles of Riddick for the fourth time. It's like, no more Riddick. You're cut off from Vin Diesel. Anything with Vin Diesel, you're not allowed to watch. Anything with Vin Diesel, you're not allowed to watch. First and foremost, I want to hear COVID again. Is this time three? Yeah, this is time two or three. Oh, right. No, sorry. Time two was actually whooping cough. That was, <laughs> we thought yeah, was false, COVID. False COVID. But still, maybe even worse. Now you, now we have COVID take two. How are you? Are You sound like you were laid pretty low. Yeah, I was laying about as low as you could possibly lay. Jeez. I, I actually still feel sick. It's crazy. So this is worse than the first one. Yeah. It feels much worse than the first one. It's been like a week and a half. I had a fever for four straight days. Fuck. That was rough. That was a rough time. It was one of those times where I've pretty much watched every single thing that exists on Netflix and HBO. (laughs) I ran out of content. And then eventually you get so sick that you can't even watch content. God. So Jesus. then you just lay and stare at the ceiling. Dude, I I know exactly what you're describing. And if you haven't been that sick in like the last two years, you kind of forget. But I was that sick like two, probably just about two years ago. And, and when you have like a bad fever for multiple days... Like th- that is one of the worst feelings. Everything, everything just fucking hurts, and you're just so miserable. <laughs> it's it's also funny how just the range of possibilities if you get COVID is still so wide. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people, it's like a afternoon thing. They take a nap and they're like, okay, feel great, back to normal the next day. And then some people, it's like a month later, they're still in the depths of hell. Well, it sounds like you got one of the worst ones. I hate that for you. Mine, my COVID was like, honestly, not that bad. So I can't really commiserate. The flu was worse for me. Well, onward, for those of you wondering why we've had a bit of a hiatus. I wish I could uh, blame KY, but that's not the case. Uh, I think, <laughs> well, there was a couple of times where I offered to begin recording at like 11.30 p.m while you had COVID, which is not exactly something that is realistic. But I have come out of probably the most intense six weeks of work that I've maybe ever had in my entire career, definitely in the last like eight years. So came out of that and I had like the opposite experience. I was obviously watching like nothing during a lot of that period, as we know from prior pods where I just came barren, like with like, I've watched like two things that I half started. And I would say like the last like five days, I've seen more movies, more good movies too, than I have in like the last four months probably. But wow, what a, what a time to catch some content. And I came at it with probably such a different perspective than your sick ass watching things on tv i feel like i have noticed in the past few weeks or maybe just in the past like two weeks that 
you have taken a hard pivot and started really trying to turn your back on the former foundation of Bradford 1.0, which was Dad Movie Central. And you're on the next leg of your chapter, which is like getting back into the real hard-hitting content. You're totally right. And I think it's tied to that. You gave me a kick in the ass that I needed. So thank you. You're like, I'm giving you fucking homework, Bradford. You can't come back to me <laughs> saying you've only watched like Thor. I hear you coming back with Chronicles of Riddick for the fourth time. It's like no more Riddick. You're cut off from Vin Diesel. Anything with Vin Diesel, you're not allowed to watch. How about you? What's, what's the type of thing you go for for a sick, like as in when you are ill? What is the type of movie target that you have? I guess you like slash and burn, but usually I like to mix up a rewatch of an old show that's just comforting mm. and it's <laughs> yeah. like a nice warm blanket. <laughs> so that's one. A new show or a show that I haven't seen that I have been wanting to watch. It's very bingeable. So I'll throw something like that on. And then th- for movies, it really it gets weird. It gets weird. This is when all, all the really weird movies on my list come out whether they're really obscure strange docs or they're just really dark subject matter like when i watched silence last time it's usually stuff like that yes i love it well hit me with your your list okay so there are probably two and a half maybe three that i actually want to talk about outside of oppenheimer and barbie uh, barbenheimer but i will just let me just give you a little like taste of... Should we frame this up? So b- basically, we both saw Oppenheimer and we want to discuss that and where we are, I think, as where the zeitgeist is as a result of Oppenheimer and then Barbenheimer and the cultural concepts surrounding that. And then we both have these wild lists, one from sickness and one from freedom. And uh, we'll probably only talk about a couple of those, but... It'll be good to touch base on exactly what we've each listened to and, sorry, watched, and then use that as potentially fodder for the next pod. But with that in mind, I assume you're on board with that, and then hit me with what you, what you got. Yeah, so we can start off with a full list before we dive in. So I'm just pulling up my letterbox diary. There's a lot of docs on here. I'll just go through. So there's a series of documentaries on Netflix called Unknown where they cover certain interesting topics about our world. And I watched all of them, all three. So there's Unknown Cave of Bones. Oh, man. Which is about about an interesting prehistoric human remains discovery, potentially. That one was interesting. The second one was Unknown The Lost Pyramid, which is about this... uh... (laughs) (laughs) These... Sounds like you've been thinking of the Ancient Aliens series. Yeah, basically. (laughs) Really, really interesting topic about this uh, set of lost pyramid structures near the pyramids of Giza. And then the last one, which I actually thought was a documentary worth recommending to people and worth watching, is Unknown Cosmic Time Machine about the building and the deployment of the James Webb Telescope. Yeah. Love that one. That one was Same. great. I also okay. caught that one. Nice. And then there are a few more on Netflix. So uh, I don't know if you heard about The Deepest Breath. 
This is a new A24 doc about free diving. Really, really interesting story and just like subject matter about free diving. This is one of the ones I do want to talk about. And then in preparation for Barbie, was going back through some Greta Gerwig stuff. So I watched uh, Francis Ha, which is a always a great, amazing watch. And then watched some of the old Sean Baker stuff. So Tangerine, a little bit of Florida Project. And then the other one, the, the last one that I want to point out to you specifically is the, I forget what it's called. I think it's called Rise of Empires, the Ottoman Empire. Yep. I've, I've Season seen two. That came out i think maybe at some point this year ah, so i, I, I binged that whole thing and absolutely loved uh i thought that was better than uh, season one focus on a slightly different time period oh and then yeah sorry the last one alex garland special annihilation oh excellent excellent i watched that last night actually uh actually in preparation for the fact that you told me you watched it so well, and then of course you caught both Barbie and Oppenheimer. Yeah, double header, same day. Wow. Oh yes, I'm so excited to get someone's take who actually did that. Uh, okay, I if you believe can believe it, I actually have removed a significant number from this list uh, because it's just too big. I saw Sisu. Are you familiar okay. with Sisu? Yeah. So that is the I would say quite critically acclaimed film about a lapland which is you know uh it's in finland so it's about this the finnish dude who like basically fights a bunch of nazis and it's all in finnish and german mission impossible the new one in imax oppenheimer of course in imax i saw mission impossible with my wife i saw oppenheimer which we'll get to alone starting at 11 30 p.m on a tuesday i saw or wednesday i saw asteroid city the new wes anderson i saw the second bar uh, bird box so bird box barcelona which is in spanish it's actually like a spanish movie but with the same plot and then i saw evil dead rises or evil dead rise sorry uh the latest of the evil dead franchise films also actually pretty critically acclaimed i would say i mean acclaim is the wrong word but it's like not it's not like a trash movie it's like a good movie in my opinion watched annihilation like i said uh for the second time um in that book i have literally two copies of the book it's based off of right behind me so i'm excited to talk about that i saw the outlaws (laughs) it is this is definitely the most dad movie thing on my list which is I'm pretty sure it's a Netflix original with Adam Devine, Pierce Brosnan, Ellen Barkin. I saw The Usual Suspects with Jess. So she had never seen that before. An incredible classic, in my opinion. I rewatched Gladiator for like the thousandth time. I rewatched Zombieland with Woody Harrelson for the second time. Uh, it's like a comedy zombie movie. That's like. I think it's like legitimately a really good movie. Like I had forgotten that I actually really liked that movie. I saw the unknown documentary Cosmic Time Machine about the James Webb Telescope as well. And then I tried to watch 65, which is that uh, Adam and Driver movie that they've released on Netflix with some fanfare, even though it got kind of smashed in the box, trashed in the box office. But I couldn't finish it because it wasn't very good. 
the things that if we had a million, like I would probably cut half the things on this list, even if we had infinite amount of time, but I really want to talk about Annihilation because you watched it too. I want to touch on Mission Impossible. I didn't see Barbie, so I would love to hear like, I feel like the Mission Impossible Oppenheimer and then the Barbie Oppenheimer combo is like kind of an American Venn diagram we need to explore. That's a pretty epic list. Fuck me. I'm burning. Oh, uh, you finished it, right? Yeah, I finished it. And also Paris, Texas. You finished Paris, Texas? Yeah. Oh, man. And so I need to hear about this. I actually don't think I think we should come back to those in our next one because we have so much like zeitgeist yeah. stuff. The only thing I will say is that lit hands down. I can say hands down of everything that I watched, including Oppenheimer, including like Annihilation, including like the my favorite movie of this entire list was Burning. Like it was. Wow. It was wow. my. Wow. I, it's like oh. an easy number one on this whole list for me. <laughs> And maybe that gives away some things I think about Oppenheimer, but I am really excited to come back to talk about Burning maybe next next pod because I want to give it its own time. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I'm I'm pumped to hear about it. Cool. Where should we, where, where should we start? Do you want to start with Annihilation? I'll do the intro, and then before I give my opinion on the movie, I will love you to give yours. So the movie's MDIB is a biologist signs up for a dangerous, secretive expedition into a mysterious zone where the laws of nature don't apply. Which is not MDIB's worst, but certainly not its best description. Quick background on the movie, which I've actually brought up before on the pod, is that Jeff Vandermeer, who is at the forefront of what's called the new weird in terms of a lit- it's a literary movement, which is kind of... Like Edgar Allan, like modern Edgar Allan Poe, it's like often has some supernatural, or and or horror and or sci-fi, and or just psychological thriller elements, but is not like doesn't fit into typical genre fiction. And Annihilation was one of his books. Jeff, I like. I am a Jeff Vanderack, Vandermaniac. Uh, I have uncritical adulation of Jeff Vandermeer. I think he's. I've read like all of his books. I'm I'm obsessed with this like genre because I just like love the blend of the horror with the su- with the supernatural with the sci-fi, but it's also very literary. It's not like it's it's a it's a very literary genre, at least the way he writes it. So when this movie originally came out, I was like, "Holy crap!" Like I'm gonna watch it immediately. I think I watched this before I got into my weird solo 11:30 movie PM things. I think you and I were living together in San Francisco, KY when I saw this movie alone on the way home from work one night in the Polk Gulch uh, in SF. And the movie is really, really, really different from the book. But I'm not, that's not to say I don't, I don't like the movie, and I'll share my opinion later, but it is like not the same as the book, which is okay. I'm, I'm cool with that. I'm not one of those people that like hates movies when they're different from the book, right? But um, that's the background on like the movie and how I got to the movie. Hit me with your thoughts on this and pros, cons, liked it, didn't like it. It was only a matter of time before I got to this. I had heard a lot about it and I heard basically that it was a little rough around the edges and that it was terrifying. And then once you get COVID, you feel like (laughs) annihilation is kind of like the right thing to do. (laughs) 
So in the midst of like a fever dream on one of those early days of COVID, I threw this movie on and holy shit, I absolutely loved it. Oh, this was the most Alex Garland thing I've ever seen. The visuals were unlike anything I've seen. He has such like a specific way of storytelling through visuals and like visualizing scary stuff that I think is unparalleled. It's a really heady movie. I think especially once you cross over to the other side, both physically and metaphorically, it turns into a totally different movie. Uh, That's when like the movie really begins. Mm -hmm. And I think that's when the ideas start to get really big and really abstract. And I really like that part of it. The last 15 minutes of this movie... I will never be able to unsee in my entire life. And it still haunts me. And it's still something that I'm trying to wrap my head around. Like I'm still mm-hmm. processing this movie, but yeah, absolutely loved it. I will probably watch it again. And Natalie Portman also crushed it. She does. Oh yeah. She's really, really, this is one of the best performances I've seen of Natalie Portman. It also gives her a, a lot of range. Yeah, great summary. I agree with everything that you said. Alex Garland also, by the way, just has like a like the sneaky, maybe not sneaky for you, but for me, it's like he has a very sneaky, incredible backlog that if if I was to say, you know, I lived my life as a director of films or writer, um, writer director, what would I be happy with? Like Alex Garland's, Garland's list, I would be like incredibly happy to be my my list of things i've produced it's yeah he has devs annihilation ex machina dread which i actually really liked 28 days later in the beach <laughs> which is great it's a crazy <laughs> backlog so i'm really glad you liked it because i think some people have said that this is their favorite that sounds like something donald trump would say People are saying, I'm not going to say who, people are saying that this is their favorite sci-fi movie. But I think I think there are critics out there that really gush about this, even though not everyone agrees. And I think it's because, just like the book, it does an incredible job blending big ideas, some like exciting action, like interesting sci-fi visuals, and like a really beautiful cinematography, in my opinion, like you said, the way that Alex Garland shows stuff with color and with a nice mixture of, of um, what I can only assume is CGI and then non-CGI content. And then also horror, I mean horror, but without being too scary, is like just a really, really nice, unique experience. I do think that I would really recommend you read the book. The book has a lot more to it that's scarier in a existential way than this movie which is okay i wouldn't expect the movie i'm actually glad the movie didn't try to do some of the stuff okay i'm definitely gonna read this super interested in that and i guess the the two highlights for me which are both sort of like in the same realm of a very art alex garland thing to do is i feel like if you read the script for this movie it would make zero sense it wouldn't be <laughs> scary true. at all. And you'd be like, what What are you doing? Right? Like, nobody's making this movie. This is so dumb. For example, the idea of telling a story where 
a group of people cross over this mystical barrier, right? Yeah. And everything on the other side of that barrier, what really works is that everything about that world is unknown, right? They've now crossed over into this thing where like, you don't know the rules, anything could happen. And there's something very haunting about that. But I think it's really easy to mess up that type of story and make it come across as just dumb. And then the second one is the, obviously spoilers, but like the mutated bear monster thing that screams in that woman's scream. Uh I mean, like, how does that work? And how, like, how does he make that so scary? But it's really the scariest, most disturbing, haunting thing I've ever seen. It's so disturbing. You're right. And if you were to describe that, <laughs> it sounds so dumb. Yeah, but when that thing moves up to them when they're tied up and they're, oh my God. I'm like, I'm getting chills thinking about it. I just saw it last night. I'm like, ha ah. <laughs> ha. It's so scary. The, the final two things I'm going to say about this, I swear to God, are if you zoom out a bit, it is a really interesting climate commentary, I think, as a movie. It doesn't have to be. You don't have to look at it that way, but I think that's one of the most interesting ways of thinking about this film and the book, whereas I'm just going to go ahead and throw this out there. The second book, and by extension, I hope the second movie, is even better than the first one. Now, Annihilation gets all of the, which is the first movie in the first book, gets all of the publicity, but the second one is a totally different story about the bureaucracy of the organization that sends these teams into the Southern Reach. Uh, or, sorry, into Area X, and holy shit, it is even more disturbing, but in like a totally mundane Kafka-esque way. And the way that it goes is the first movie is like a climate commentary, the second movie is like a government organization commentary on the part that human organizations play in climate destruction, and then the third one, anyway, I'm already getting way too into it, but it's incredible. Read it. We'll talk about it later. I'm not going to say anything else now. <laughs> so was this inspired in some, or maybe the book was somewhat inspired by Tarkovsky's Stalker? I don't know, but it definitely seems like it. It definitely seems like it. I So I had that same exact thought. Yeah. As soon as I finished this, I was like, I need to go revisit Stalker. Great flag. I could go on about this like set of things. This is some of my favorite, my favorite like art is kind of in this little spot on the Venn diagram between genres and writers. Okay, enough of that. Go watch it if you haven't yet. Obviously, we both loved it, and we come from a different perspective on this sort of like horror sci-fi stuff. So let me kind of just like drop a quick sprinkle of, of a couple thoughts before we move on to your... So, okay, so I saw three other possible horror movies. So this one, I would say Annihilation is like clearly not just a horror movie but it's some of the most disturbing stuff and some of these scenes that you can watch out there i saw bird box barcelona evil dead rises and zombie land and i just want to say i'm not going to like comment too much on any of these but the the genre of horror out there that you can consume is probably the most wide-ranging genre that exists in film right now the fact that you can have something like zombie land and then a movie like Evil Dead Rise and then Bird Box Barcelona and then Annihilation all be like allegedly roughly in the same genre. Just I think it's an unspoken 
unspoken fact of the zeit the zeitgeist right now of america that we are in maybe the late golden age of the horror genre it's there's something for everyone there and it is the most flexible genre out there i do feel like the genre of horror went from this one singular thing and it's like this virus that it's grown and just like subsumed everything around it and it's grown into this behemoth that encompasses even things as indie and niche as like the weird pagan obscure a24 yeah type horror too right totally totally agree you're right it's it's moved out of which is a good sign for horror it's 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 almost moved out of genre i mean you can still have genre horror but it's it's now just like a broader artistic component it's a tool to be used in the author, the writer's toolbox, essentially, in a way that it wasn't, as far as I know, from like literary history before, you know, more than 20 years ago. What, one more quick comment on that. So I, I love that take because it's like the concept of horror, I think, has transcended its own genre. Mm. And just like you said, it is now a tool and a, a really powerful tool, I think, to use in making movies or shows that are not in that genre at all. Right. And like, I think the two best examples are if you've seen Atlanta, the show on mm-hmm. FX, or Dave, another amazing show on FX. I think both of those shows are two of the most culturally influential shows about modern culture. And the two best episodes from each of those respective shows are both genuinely just horror episodes, right? And these are supposed to be heady, highbrow mm. comedy commentaries, but the best episodes were where they said, this episode, we're going to do horror. That's a fascinating point. That really drives it home. That's a perfect example. Great aside. Well, let's do Barbie, Oppie, Mishy. What do you, you want to, let's go with Barbie. I want to hear your take on Barbie. I haven't seen it. I'm going to see it. I know a lot of people who've seen it. I'm not really afraid of anything being spoiled. So feel free just to give me your hot take. And only in so far as you think you might not totally bias me. Actually, go ahead. Bias me. I don't care. I I won't go too deep. And like, I'm not going to analyze the movie too much because there are a million podcasts and articles and like the entire world, it seems is, has already overanalyze both of these movies. So I'll talk a little bit about my experience. So this was part of the Barbenheimer doubleheader, if you remember last time. So we saw Oppenheimer at 10.30 a.m. on a Saturday. Wow. Let's get back to that. Uh, <laughs> Wait, you started you started with Oppenheimer instead of yeah. going? Wow. Yeah. Okay. okay. Strong move. Jeez. And then <laughs> yeah, a lot of stuff happened between the ending of Oppenheimer and the Barbie showing, which is not until 7.30 p.m. Wow. That was a weird, just liminal headspace. And then, yeah, God. saw Barbie as like the palate cleanser before uh, the actual food palate cleanser after Barbie. But anyway, one thing I love and hate about this whole Barbie, Barbenheimer thing, and Barbie in particular, is that it has completely overtaken modern culture. Everyone in New York on the weekend was walking around in all pink outfits and wearing their Barbie gear. And it had become such a thing. 
an overplayed thing. And that's fine. And like they spend way too much money or maybe just the right amount of money on the marketing. And I think it's going to pay off really well. But onto the movie itself. Well, can I can I just mention the fact that that is like 1000% not the case in Atlanta. <laughs> so it's funny to me how different, I mean, not that I should ever be shocked, but like not at all. Have not seen anybody in any Barbie stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't. I mean, I don't know where I would. I mean, not even at the theater. I guess some girls were walking around. Yeah, anyway, that's wild. Also, when we got to the theater, both before and after the movie, bo- both of these movies, I've never seen a theater that crowded, packed, and energized in my entire life. I think the last time I'd felt that type of feeling inside a theater was when I was probably 12 years old. And like we would go to the theater, right, with your friends mm. on a weekend for, I don't know, the new Star Wars or something. And it was yeah. such a spectacle and like such an event. Yeah. And this was that, but for adults. Totally. That I can resonate. I can, that resonates. I, I had the same experience the two or three times I've been to the theater in the last month, which by the way, I'm a perfect example of this. You may be less so because you've been keeping up your metrograph, but I hadn't been to the theater in forever and it seems like everyone else is there is having a great time. There's so many people yeah. at an Atlantic station, hanging out, drinking beers, getting ready to go to the theater, clearly organizing their like day or night around this experience. And it was like fun. I I had forgotten Amazing. how fun yeah. a theater experience can be. Exactly. So And then yeah, as far as the movie itself, I thought there were basically two different movies that you could take away from this. First is a Greta Gerwig special. It's like what what's happening beneath the surface. And then there is the mainstream blockbuster summer family movie that's entertaining and everyone can enjoy. Mm-hmm. And I thought it blended those two really seamlessly to make like this perfect blended movie where, first of all, I liked it. I thought it was a really, really well-made movie. The writing was really smart, I'll say. The casting was perfect and they absolutely nailed it this like set design the visuals the colors like literally everything about this was just an incredible movie experience and if you had told somebody that they're that you're gonna make a movie about barbie there's just a million ways it could have gone wrong and should have gone wrong right this this isn't supposed to be a good movie no and so the fact that they pulled this off i think was really remarkable Everyone in the theater was laughing, having a great time. And this movie, I think, will continue to pay dividends. And it's something that I think people will, it'll become a classic that people will rewatch year after year. That is a way higher praise than I expected. Although I've heard um, it seems to really depend on the person. I guess the numbers, you know, don't lie in the sense that this is skyrocketed up to be the second highest grossing movie this summer, I think, behind Spidey. Like, it's skyrocketed past Guardians Volume 3 in the last couple days, and it's made $367 million globally in the box office, which is, for the amount of time it's been out, and by the way, that's twice as much exactly as twice as much as Oppenheimer, means that you're totally you're totally right. I mean, you're objectively correct about it having blended something. So, you know, some magic mixture of like audience um audiences together. One thing I think that I find funny is how much 
political commentary surrounds Barbie. Uh, I sent you that screenshot and backlash. of Fox News. Yeah, I think what's funny about the negative political commentary about Barbie is something that I especially haven't seen in a while is totally missing the point of something which is really it's just like really funny it make like i had actually thought that while i really fundamentally disagree with people both on the left and the right who take things too far i had started to think that american news outlets even if you fundamentally disagree with their stance are mostly being smart and manipulative versus just kind of like dumb but i actually think that a lot of people are just like really dumb the fact that anyone can have like a this vitriolic visceral reaction to a movie like barbie it's like obviously fun like supposed to be funny and it's, and it's like making fun of like everything as far as i can tell like how can you how can you say that that's like a negative cultural phenomenon i don't know it's like I'm not doing a great job explaining it because I also don't have the vocabulary of having watched the movie, but I just find it like really entertaining to see people be upset by something like Barbie. It's like out of the fucking 1950s. It's like, come on guys. Like, wh- why are you upset about this? <laughs> that So that was the aspect of the movie that I wasn't really going to touch on because there's a lot of political dialogue out there about this from both sides and i i totally agree right it's like you could view it one way or another either way at the end of the day it's it's supposed to be like just a fun family summer movie and i I think the mere fact that this type of movie can create this strong of a reaction like you said just speaks to the fact that there's this deep rooted insecurity and defensiveness within people trying to not face the truth that's perfect like the fact that i can read an article in one publication that says they're they're boycotting barbie because there's no gay kins and then another publication can write saying that they're boycotting barbie because it like besmirches and sexualizes a children's toy i'm like that's amazing the fact that like you can get idiots on both sides you just (laughs) totally miss the point of like what a fun summer movie is to like demonize something whereas it still hits the top of the charts you know makes me like just gleefully happy it makes me realize that most people are smart or at least appreciate how to be entertained yeah and that makes me really happy (laughs) yeah and then it it also makes me happy that there's still people writing like really stupid stuff (laughs) okay i have less good things to say about my experience with mission impossible it has also made less well under half as much in the box office as barbie in about twice as long which i find interesting Mission Impossible promised to deliver through its similarly clever marketing campaign to Barbie's in a different way. Because it was like, if you remember, they've been like glorifying Tom Cruise's outrageous real action stunts that he's been doing at age 63 or whatever for this movie. And it's been really good. Like it's made me want want to watch it, watching him do these crazy cliff diving things. It really geared it up to be like the definitive summer action blockbuster. And maybe it is, but couple comments on it one 
it did legitimately deliver on some really, really fun non-CGI action. Like they really actually built their own train, ran it off of a cliff, made it explode with like real TNT. Tom Cruise actually jumped off all these cliffs. They didn't do the whole CGI backfall. They had some incredible fight scenes, some really clever, clever reveals. And I love that. And that's great. Things that it didn't do well, it tried to do too much. It spent way too much time trying to do too much. Like if if they had cut this movie down by 30% and focused on doing, you know, five instead of 12 stunts and told a bit more of the fun part of the Mission Impossible series that the thing that I think is the most fun about the early Mission Impossibles is when they start telling the story about how they're going to do the thing and then they show you the thing happening in real time in the background and it's like this impossible thing they're going to go figure out how to do. They just don't nail that in this one at all. It's There's there's none of that Mission Impossible. There's none of that like quintessential Mission Impossible vibe of there being an impossible mission. It's just like in this one, the impossible mission is like, Tom Cruise has to go kill 100,000 people and oh my God, that seems impossible. But... You know, that's not as, fu- there's not, it's not as clever, you know, it's just like pure action. I'm not like against the movie. I would say I recommend watching it at some point, but would I ever come back to this movie? No, maybe in my next dad movie phase, but it's just not, not worth the budget that it seems to have spent on itself. Who knows though? It's part one, which is hilarious. So maybe part two is going to be great. I have no idea. Anyway, that was a long spiel, but um wanted to share my two cents on What's not a failure, but like a disappointment, I think. Yeah, it it almost sounds like the Fast series where it's just been dragging on for so long and it's completely devoid of any storytelling or soul or anything. It's just a cash machine at some point. And it's not bad. It's not bad. It is legitimately high production value. It is the definition of high. It is the highest of production values. So it looks really good. And I really, really buy into this. I'm not going to use CGI very much thing because I think the world went way too deep into that Yeah, over the last 10 years. But it's just not, yeah, it's kind of vapid. One more quick thing on Mission Impossible. Was there an intro preamble from Tom Cruise before the movie started? There was. Okay. Not only Tom Cruise, but also Christopher McQuarrie. They have a little like chat where they sit down in front of a window and they're talking to you and they Hope you enjoy the show. Why do you ask? Just because he did that in all the other ones. <laughs> Just because that seems like the new Tom Cruise thing to do. And also, the other observation is, so I watched Oppenheimer in an AMC, and I watched Barbie in a Regal, so switch theaters. And I'd never done that in the same day, right? So I noticed a very stark contrast in the experience of AMC and Regal, ah. where... AMC, you get that Nicole Kidman intro where she's like walking around the theater and she's like the queen of AMC and everyone just loves, seems to love that sequence. It's great just to see her and you're like, all right, you're about to see something great and it's a good (laughs) theater experience. And then you walk down the street to Regal and it's just like, if AMC is Target, Regal is Walmart, right? (laughs) It's like the tackier, shittier version, and like all of their intro sequences are just so 
absurdly obnoxious and it is the budget version of amc that was the first time i'd really noticed that it's but it's like budget but bigger it's like <laughs> yeah. it's like everything obnoxiously yeah. big yeah obnoxiously big it's like a castle it's like a really shitty castle that the, like castle to movie a temple that's an incredible side observation okay well you led into your story around how you saw barbenheimer let me just give you a, a quick hint. I hinted at it earlier, but my experience watching Oppenheimer was to go alone on a, I think last Wednesday, started the movie at 11.30 p.m. If you don't know, Oppenheimer is a flat 180 minutes. That's three hours, which means I was, well, there's a story about this actually, but I may or may not have been at the movie theater until after 2.30 a.m. on a Wednesday. And yeah, so it was a, a pretty interesting experience. I was literally the front and center seat. Not the very front, but the front of the second section. So like the exact center of the theater, like where you're supposed to sit because there was no one else there. Well, there were some other people there, which is also part of another story. But it was a wild, wild ride. I would, I would probably recommend doing that whether it's for Oppenheimer or some other movie because you really do get a pure a very pure experience if you're like basically alone in an IMAX theater on a weekday at night you don't there's no distractions <laughs> so I, I literally during Oppenheimer as I was sitting there I was thinking to myself that motherfucker Bradford was sitting in here all <laughs> alone at midnight on a Wednesday. How is that possible? <laughs> and you're in like a full theater in the middle yeah. of the day or in the morning. Oh, well, I want to hear the, the story because you know that theater staff was sitting there like, who the fuck are these guys and why are they here right now? <laughs> well, there's me and this other guy. So the movie was supposed to start at 11.10 or 11.15. And there's literally me and one other guy. All the lights are on in the theater, like bright, harsh lights that I didn't even know were in the theater. So, and then all of the trash cans are like overflowing with shit from the prior, you know, movie. And the guy, like, I'm just sitting there. It's like 1110s coming past. It's like 1112, 1113 now. And the guy behind me goes, We're the only two people in the IMAX theater. He goes, You're here for Oppenheimer, right? And I'm like, Yeah, I'm like, yeah, man. Like, do you think they know we're here? <laughs> and so literally as I say that, it's like the guy was up there like smoking weed and like listening to us. He literally, like someone just turned the lights off and I was like, oh shit. And then <laughs> the guy starts at like 10, five, 10 minutes late. And then hilariously through the first like two previews, we're still the only people in the theater. And then out of nowhere, three groups of seven people just show up and hop into the theater and like start watching. And I'm like, is there some, who are these people? I thought I was the only crazy person to come to an 1110 Wednesday showing of Oppenheimer, but there's all these people just like rolling in super last minute, probably 20 people total. Um, literally after the like second or third preview. So what are they, who are these people? What are they doing? What are their jobs? A lot of questions it's it's almost like after the movie there had to be like a forced mixer where you all exchange contact info because like it's a very very specific breed of person 
Totally. Uh, okay. So should we intro op? Intro op. Well, I mean, we don't need intro op. If you're listening to this podcast, I mean, you're not you're not living under a rock. You don't even have to be a movie buff. You know what Oppenheimer is, right? And there's going to be spoilers, obviously. I will tell you if I liked it, how much I liked it, and what was interesting about it. Cool. Okay. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. There was a crazy movie-going experience. That's exactly the type of movie that needs to be seen in IMAX with full sound, the whole theater's rumbling, massive screen, like that whole thing. So I, I love that aspect of it. I, I just remember watching the movie and thinking, Christopher Nolan, this might be his pinnacle. This is the peak of everything that that he's been leading up to in his career. I love the use of switching back and forth between color and black and white. The black and yeah. white shots were so, so good looking in an amazing way to show different perspectives in, in the story. And then the score, I mean, they hit the score out of the park. I read that they actually yeah. switched up the team, right? So I think it was the same guy who wrote the score for Tenet is now on this and I guess will be used going forward. But it's it's not Hans Zimmer, which was surprising, but they absolutely nailed it. And then the visuals, the way they visualized really complicated scientific topics and concepts was Interstellar-esque, but it made Interstellar look amateurish almost. And then obviously the, you know, the acting, the performances, all of that was really great. So this is definitely like one of nolan's better movies i would say my one criticism was i wish they stopped this movie at the two hour mark after the the bomb test the trinity test and like the most magnificent explosion of sight and sound i wish they had started to wind it down there i do feel like the last hour of that was this like post-climax period where it's like the post-nut clarity of movies and you're just sitting there wondering why you're still there. I I think we're aligned. I have a slightly more extreme extremist version of what you just said, if I can jump in, which is that I have never had a worse time watching a great movie. I debated not even telling you this or the world that's listening. I left early. And it's what? it's not because it was late. It's because I got past the bomb and it started winding down. And I'm like, I don't want what has been a good movie to be completely fucking ruined because I really, really, really hated the last hour. Like so much, I just got up and I left. And I don't know what happens at the end. I have no idea and I don't fucking care. I think that this is the most incredible so, so context, brief context on me uh, personally and my interest in like Oppenheimer from my literary days when, you know, when I was studying lit and my wit maniac days, Oppenheimer was one of my biggest obsessions and something I, I was like obsessed with the role of, I still am, of like nu- the nuclear weapons and their role in how humankind thinks of itself in art 
and we'll also like you know of course like history and politics but in terms of how we present stuff in 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 art and then like what the humans such as Oppenheimer who are all incredibly smart behind this bomb and therefore good writers so who left like a lot of really interesting quotes behind such as the famous one that is said twice in this movie about um, Oppenheimer quoting the Hin- Hindu god about you know, being I am become death etc so you have a bunch of incredibly literary things happening with great minds behind the most terrible but also possibly the most wonderful thing from a cataclysmic war perspective ever happening at the, you know basically with the Manhattan project and so i've been obsessed with this concept for forever and so i was so incredibly excited to see this and in the first 2 hours of this movie i am just gripped for all the reasons you said cinematography is incredible the feeling of it in IMAX is incredible Cillian Murphy, Emily Blunt, Matt Damon are just doing such a great job. I just have so little bad to say. But I mean, the one thing I would say is they should just have totally cut out all of the trial stuff and just made it actually an in the moment with no chronological switches, in my opinion, because I think that could have cut out a lot of the fat and focused on the real important like part, which is Oppenheimer's like struggle he he represents like the broader human struggle with building a great weapon and and um using science to change the world so i'm coming in with all this and i'm loving it and then we get past the bomb test and i can immediately tell that this is going to be complete and utter shit and i don't know why no one's talking about this but i fucking hated the last hour i i literally i have never walked out of a movie in it's been 20 years since I've done that, probably, maybe if ever. And to the fact that I did that to a movie that I like, I love the concept and I loved the movie, just I cannot think of anything that has ever made me feel so much conflicting opinions about it when it comes to a movie or a book. Okay, I'll stop. I've just been rambling, but it's it was a wild experience for me. Okay. I, I mean, I love that you came out and said it because... I just remember thinking, like, I, I wasn't checking the time or anything. I just f- had felt like after the bomb went off in the Trinity test, I was like, all right, awesome. That was an amazing movie, and maybe there's, like, another 20, 30 minutes of this, and then let's get out of here and talk about it, right? And then it just kept going on, and I was like, what, like, what? how early on in this movie are we, right? Like, I'm not going to take my phone out to check, but it started to feel like I was watching Avatar 2, where you really feel the three hours, right? You really and you're feel just, it. yeah. So, okay, I appreciate that. I guess the second thing is I actually genuinely appreciated the last hour in its own sense, not as a part of this movie, but it, they could have made a separate movie about that, yeah. like a political thriller sort of thing, just about the aftermath in like Aaron Sorkin style. And that would have been a cool standalone movie, but I think. Post Trinity test where he goes into that stadium, everyone's sitting on the bleachers and it starts to get really trippy and surreal where, you know, it's cutting in and out of like the aftermath of these explosions while everyone's like celebrating. I love how dark they went and like that Nolan actually went there. And this is like a summer blockbuster. Yeah. And I wish they had just explored that, kept following that path for another 15 minutes Uh and then ended it. 
that would have been a five star movie in my opinion. I I totally entirely agree with what you said. The first thing I said to Jess when I talked to her about it was like and this would never happen. Maybe it would, I don't know. But the the best case scenario is you actually don't lose any content, but you have a series that ends in a movie. Like I mean this is a horrible example like Downton Abbey or something where it's like um I don't actually want it to be like Downton Abbey. I haven't seen the Downton Abbey movie, but my understanding is that you, they do a good job making you really love characters and then like an interesting, basically like you said, if they did this this Sorkin-esque, interesting, limited series about the political components, that would be an incredible piece of art in of itself. And then you have this separate piece, which is about Oppenheimer, like, you know, this bio biopic about Oppenheimer, which has all of this incredible visuals, incredible psychological analysis the great acting of Cillian Murphy culmination in the bomb and the dark the darkness surrounding the joy of the war ending but also something that can kill everyone and did kill hundreds of thousands of people why have them all in one big fucking giant movie it's like no one it's like Christopher Nolan's unhinged and and I just think no one's talking about like why is no one else saying this like it's 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 like no one it's like he's too famous to have an editor. It's like Stephen, he's like turned into Stephen King. It's like, if you notice Stephen King's first like five novels are all like 200 pages, take like a weekend to read. They're incredible. The shining, whatever. And then the most recent ones, no one reads because he doesn't have a fucking editor. He writes like 2000 pages and he's like, I do what I want. And no one reads that shit. That's what happened with this movie. And no one wants to say it. It's a very Nolan thing where he's so out of touch with, the reality of what's the people that consume his stuff, because I mean, he has to be like that for his artistic vision, but it's gotten so much. So to the point where I think people are just afraid to criticize him. It's almost like, I don't know if you've been following like this whole Travis Scott thing with his new utopia album that took like five years to make and like all this stuff. And I I feel the same way about certain artists where I, I don't know if everyone's just like collectively delusional, but it's like this album comes out and it's just straight up not good, right? And you spent five years on this thing and everyone's like, that was so sick, like best album ever. And it's like, no one actually likes it, but no one everyone likes it. thinks they have to like it, right? <laughs> and so no one criticizes it. It's like, no one's like just rocking to this in their car alone. It's like, yeah, like no one's once. actually listened to it. Yeah. <laughs> wrote about it. I, I don't want to be unfair. And, I, and also just to be clear to you as well that it is really good. And I go back to what I said. I have never hated watching something I loved so much. It's like, it is actually really good. I don't want to take that away from Nolan. It's just presented poorly. Like, it, it should have been presented differently. Yeah. Well, I will say that the two-minute period where they start the Trinity tests and you, in the lead-up to the countdown to the explosion, the, I mean, my heart was thumping right and totally the theater is absolutely silent and then you have first the the light show and then you have the sound show like a minute later or something right and that short two minute thing that was probably one of the best movie theater pseudo-religious experiences i've ever had in my life it's iconic that's gonna be hands down and i like people will be studying that scene totally agree it's so rare you can do something everyone knows exactly what's going to happen i assume right yeah but you like you said your heart's thumping 
and then the combination yeah i was just also i was describing that to jess i was like that scene when it starts with the light and then it's like the holy experience and then just shooken back to earth with the violent the horrible violence of the actual explosion wild stuff it's like and the fact that you could hear a pin well, drop stuff. in that I theater. Mean, I mean, it was it sounds similar dead to, similar to Barbie, that I entire think. time. It's and obviously rare. a great movie when it can make you like feel, and so many people feel so many things, and also handle an incredibly delicate... Like, I, having tried to write about some of this stuff myself, whether in research papers or artistically, like in school... I can't overstate how difficult it is to handle a topic like nuclear weapons and leading up to the actual bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And he handled it like everyone involved, like handled it like yeah. I think really intelligently and, and deftly and then makes you feel a whole lot along the way. Even though I walked out of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Are you ever going to rewatch it? Definitely a hundred percent. Yeah, and I'm going to probably split it up into like three different sets. And I might fast forward through some parts, but I'm going to rewatch it. And I also want to actually see the end. <laughs> How about you? Would you rewatch? I don't think it's very rewatchable, to be honest, but I, I would probably buy it and rewatch the middle hour. Yeah. I think up that's until smart. the explosion and then turn it off. It's feeling I'm feeling good about the American zeitgeist right now. I think... I really do feel, and I'm, I, I know it sounds like I'm kidding, but I think the experience in the theater and in the types of movies that are out there right now is in spite of all of the strikes going on and whatnot in Hollywood, a testament to how well and how, how, how well the creative heartbeat of, you know, U.S. cinema or global cinema really is at the moment. What a f- hell of a fucking few experiences I've had at the theater this summer. I, I share that optimism. I think it's becoming more and more clear that people actually care about really high quality content and creative expression. And I mean, you can see it in, I, I mean, this is a ridiculous movie to be such a massive blockbuster. Like this is totally. dark material. Whereas Flash had to be removed from the theaters because it was doing so poorly. <laughs> and because like all those Marvel movies now, just n- no one gives a shit, right? There's no, those aren't real movies. That's this, it's trash can content. Totally. I mean, the fact that Barbie, and I would consider Barbie original material. It's like Barbie, Oppenheimer, Asteroid City, some of these ones, Sisu, like this is all original content. And then, and then to some degree, Mission Impossible is also original in that it's not actually about the story it's like how can we get on film some incredible crazy stunts crazy yeah. stunt i mean like it's a it's really cool to see oh last thing i'll mention and then i i, I should go probably hot tip i've told you before I'll, I'll remind you one of my close friends and colleagues lives in tokyo he's french but he speaks fluent japanese he's married to a japanese woman has a japanese kid i guess <laughs> I don't know why that matters, but he he told me that he saw over this weekend 
the newest Studio Ghibli film Ooh, that's currently yeah. only the last out one. in Japan. Yeah. Called The Boy and the Heron. At least that's the English translation, I think. The Boy and the Heron. And he said really good things. And he also said that they were doing the most classic Miyazaki thing ever where their version of marketing is to literally not market. So they just kind of secretly released this movie into theaters. No fanfare, no marketing, and are purely relying on word of mouth buzz from the Japanese fans of Miyazaki to watch this movie. And he's like, people were like flocking to see it. And it's like, you can't see anywhere. No billboards, no ads. And I just thought that was such a great little tidbit of Japanese film, uh, film culture. I love that. Like if, if you need to know about it, you'll find out about it. Totally. And you just like, I love that they just have the balls to just do that. You can only do that if you're, if you're like run by a, a great creative auteur, yeah. I think. I agree. Um, I love that move. <laughs> <laughs>